0: This morning's uh, scripture reading will be from Jonah 1. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Jonah 1. I'm just going to open a small prayer. Thank you, Father, for your word. Let it be more than just uh, brain knowledge, dear God, but may it fall into our hearts and change our lives. Amen. Jonah 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? they groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, What should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. "O Lord, they pleaded. Don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. O oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights.
1: Let us pray. Righteous Father, we come before you with open hearts to hear what your word is saying, with open hearts to obey what you are saying. We ask that you would come, that you fill this place through your word, and that our attention We'll be focused solely on you as we hear what you have for us today in your name jesus we pray amen how many of you do household chores <laughs> most of us right some of us have no choice we're assigned chores right by our parents how many of you actually enjoy doing household chores a few of you Okay, after the service, come see me. I have some uh, some chores for you to do. A chore is a, a routine task, especially a household one that can be unpleasant, but it's necessary to do. Of all the tasks that you have before you in your house, is there any particular chore that you'd rather not do? The one that you avoid, or leave, or ignore to the very end? For some of us, it's doing the laundry. Others, it's grocery shopping or cleaning the bathroom, washing the windows, mowing the lawn. The list goes on because there's always something we don't like to do. We have at least one task that we don't like. You know, you can only buy so many clothes before you have to do laundry. <laughs> so, what chore do you run from? What chore do you put off? There are times in our relationship with our God when we can find ourselves approaching ministry or viewing God's expectations of us just like it's a household chore. We like doing some of the things that God wants from us and other things we struggle with. We don't like to do those things. We try and avoid what God wants to do sometimes. And we can end up running away from what he has chosen for us to do. We know in our heart that uh, being with God and serving him is not a chore. It shouldn't be a chore. But that does not mean that sometimes we can feel like it is. Sometimes we can be challenged with things that we don't want to do. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, well, that's not really me. I'm, uh, I'm pretty good with following the Lord's direction. What about uh, those cold, miserable winter Sunday mornings? When you're lying in your bed and you say, maybe I'll skip church today. I want to sleep in a little longer. You can struggle with feeling that today, I don't want to teach junior church. I don't want to be in Sunday school. I don't want to be in the nursery. And there's always that one person that you find a struggle to love because they irritate you. When I was in school, there was always one kid in the class. For some reason, we would have a conflict. God asks us to love our neighbors ourselves, and that can be very difficult sometimes. Because serving God can sometimes feel like a chore. But often, as we push through our feelings and obey God, we find unexpected blessings. Today, as we begin this very short, month-long series on Jonah, the main question we're asking through this whole month is how are you responding to God when he asks you to do something that you don't want to do? Each chapter of Jonah actually provides a different response to that question. God desires each of us to know him, to worship him, to serve him. And the question is, What will you do when God directs you to serve him in a certain way? How many times do we react like Jonah in chapter 1, which was read earlier? If you have your Bibles, please turn to Jonah chapter 1, or use the Bible in the pew. If you have trouble finding where Jonah is hiding, he's just down from Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, and Obadiah. If you get to Micah, you've gone too far. Come back. Jonah's hiding in there. Depending on how big your Bible is, it can just be one page. In Jonah chapter 1, we're going to explore Jonah's first response. Not his last, but his first response to God's commission and his command. And here's where we're going this morning. We're looking at God's commission. What did God tell Jonah to do? Looking at Jonah's omission, what did he omit to do, and what did he end up admitting? And finally, we're going to look at the sailor's submission and thanksgiving. And if you notice, commission, omission, admission, submission, thanksgiving, we're going to this morning, we're going to coast right through Jonah chapter 1. Everyone likes coasting. Downhill on a bike, no work. The wind at your back on a sailboat, wonderful. So we're going to coast along with Jonah to see where God takes us this morning. And our adventure begins what it always does with God himself, with God's commission in verses 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Who was Jonah? Most people think of Jonah when you say the name of oh, the guy and the whale, the guy and the great fish. Well, he was more than that. Back in... 2 Kings 14, we learn that Jonah is a prophet of God. We learn that uh, he was given a prophecy, which came true during the time of King Jeroboam II. So this wasn't just anybody who God spoke to. Because the nature of a prophet is somebody that God appoints. People don't appoint a prophet. God does. So God had already appointed Jonah to be his spokesperson. And he was to speak only as God instructs. That's what a prophet does. And it must be 100% accurate if he does a prediction of a prophecy, which he was. So Jonah had one job to do. That was to hear God and then speak and do what God had commanded him to do. It's a difficult task because being a prophet is not easy. It was not easy. Your message often was not receptive by the people who were receiving it. They didn't like hearing what God had to say. And so it could lead to being unpopular, even persecuted, even killed. And during this time when Jonah was uh, serving the Lord as his prophet, the Arameans were threatening Israel in the north, but the Assyrians, who we'll get to in a minute, were quieter. They were not as aggressive because they had internal conflicts. We also know from Second Kings fourteen that Jonah lived in a place called Gath Hefer in Zebulun. Gath Hefer is really near Nazareth. Interesting how God puts things together. And the final thing I'll say about Jonah, as to his identity, was his father. His father Amittai. Amittai means faithful. So Jonah means dove. And his father's last name, or his name, was Faithful. And in chapter 1, Jonah was anything but his father's name. He was not Faithful. We learn that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And I want to notice something that's important here. For a very specific reason, God presents himself using his proper name of the Lord, all capital letters. This was the name that he gave Moses in Exodus when Moses said, what should, what should I say? Who should I say is sending me to? To my people in Egypt. This was the name God gave. And we're going to see as we go along that the sailors used a different name for God until the very end. Yahweh is used 12 times in this passage. In 17 verses, 12 times showing that God is in charge of all things. In verse 2, when God speaks to Jonah, Jonah knew full well what God was asking him. There was no doubt, there was no confusion. He knew what was being said. God's commission was very simple: arise, go, and speak. Very simple. Three things. When you to do three things, get up from where you are, probably in Gath-hepher and Zebulun, go to a place called Nineveh, and speak what I'm telling you to speak. Interestingly, Nineveh was founded by the great-grandson of Noah, Nimrod. It's a very old city. He's the same guy who founded Babel. He got around a lot, founding cities. It became the capital of the Assyrian Empire and was a very ancient and great city. And God had noticed something about this city. He said to Jonah, I want you to call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. The word evil can be also disaster. So this evil, this disaster, is coming up before me. You know, there's many ways to get God's attention, and this isn't one of the best ways. Because it wasn't a good reason that God had drawn his attention to the people. Because their evil had come before him. How bad was it? And if you want to know more, turn a few chapters, a few books, to the right of Jonah, and you'll come to Nahum. The prophet of Nahum His whole oracle is about Nineveh and how wicked and evil it was. But to put this in a broader pictorial context for you, this is what's going on. Noah, or Jonah, is in Gathhefer. God says, arise and go to Nineveh, and Jonah goes to Joppa, and from there to Tarshish. Tarshish, interestingly, was also founded by a great-grandson of Noah, as a coastal city. We're not quite sure where it is, just that it was in the opposite direction of Nineveh. So, what, what did Jonah do? How did he respond to what God had said to him? The first thing he did was he fled. He did two out of the three things that God said. He got up. Sure, he arose. He, he headed out. But he went in the other direction. He omitted the last part of going to Nineveh. An omission is a failure to do something, especially something that one has a moral or legal obligation to do. He omitted this important part of the command. Now, in chapter one, it doesn't tell us why Jonah fled. just said he did. Later on in the book, we have some indications of why he did that. And for now, no peeking ahead. Just stick with chapter one. But possibly he feared the consequences. I want you to imagine that uh, God comes to you one night and he says, "Arise and go to Pyongyang in North Korea and cry out against the evil of that city." What would be your first reaction? Um, can I have some confirmation? Um, can you send somebody else? Uh, I don't speak Korean. Uh, Does that sound familiar? Does it remind you of anybody? Moses had the same reaction. Jonah's reaction is not different from others in the Bible, nor is it from ours sometimes. If you managed to get to and you landed at the airport, and got into the street of the city, and began to proclaim God's message, what do you think would happen to you? You would never be heard from again. You would disappear unless God was actually with you. You may think, ah, well, that's never going to happen. What about if God touches your heart and says, I want you to speak the gospel to a friend of yours or to a family member? What do you do? Well, Lord, I don't know. My, my, my member of my family is estranged from me. I don't get along with them. I, I can't talk to them. I don't want to wreck my, rent, my friendship with a friend by talking about the gospel. God asks us to do many things, simple things sometimes, but sometimes our reaction is to say, Lord, perhaps we can not do that today. So Jonah fled. And it says that he, it says twice that he fled from the presence of the Lord. You know, at this time, people thought of God's as being local. Oh, the, there's the God of uh, Mount Royal. There's the God of the Laurentians. There's a God of, you know, these kind of ideas. And so Jonah slept f- in the presence of the Lord. I'm going to get away from the Lord. But God, of course, is not a local deity. He's the God of all. And Jonah knew this. He was a prophet of God. He knew this. He was just running. And twice it says in verse 2 that he went down. He went down to Joppa. When he got to Joppa, he went down into a boat. He's really trying to hide. He's trying to get away from God's presence. That's us sometimes. We want to get away from God's presence. And so we find that he arrives at this Joppa. He gets on his ship to Tarshish. He goes down into the hold. And what does he do? He goes to sleep. Why would he go to sleep? Do you realize that running from God is exhausting? It means you can never stop running because God is always there. There's no way you can go without you're separate from God. He's always around. And you say, well, how, how can I run from God? Um, I'm too busy. I have too much going on in my life to give, read the word or go to church or, or worship God. I'm running from him for my busyness. Uh, I'm ignoring him today. I'm avoiding him. I'm pushing him away, I'm running away, and we do it in so many ways when God asks us to do things that we don't think we want to do. You know, this morning you may be sitting here and you may be saying, you know, I'm running from God. I've been running from him for a while. I've been not doing what he wanted me to do. Well, I'm still worshiping, I still believe in him, I'm still following him, but there's one thing that he's asked me and I'm just not going to do it. That's exhausting. It's frustrating. It's dissatisfying. It's time to stop running. It's time to sort of say, okay, Lord, today, I'm going to listen to you. Today, I'm going to give you the time. I'm going to go sit somewhere in the sunshine, and I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to open up this book and read what you have for me, and I'm going to stop running from you. That could be you today. Because Jonah ran to the belly of a ship and it ended up in the belly of a whale or a great fish. So God, in his grace and compassion, was not willing for Jonah to run away. And so in verse 4, in verse four we see that the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and made a, a great storm. Because Jonah's sin was affecting more than himself. If you think that what you do is just between you and God, Sometimes what you do in disobedience affects other people around you, in your families, in your colleagues, and friends. Here were these sailors doing their business, going to Tarshish as merchants, and they took this guy on board, not knowing what they had, and they were going to possibly die because of his disobedience. While Jonah slept, the sailors freaked out. They had great fear. You know, when you're on a, on, a, on a ship, a small vessel, and the waters are raging, and you're down below, how could Jonah sleep, you may wonder? How could he possibly be asleep? Several years ago, my grandfather had a uh, pleasure craft, 32-foot pleasure craft. I went with him my father and a friend of my grandfather's up the coast, up to Prince Rupert, and it was stormy, three-foot waves. It was choppy. On top of the side, you're really just you know, trying not to you know get sick. Well, I went down and sat on one of the beds and was reading. I didn't notice a thing. When I came topside, I'm like, whoa, this is crazy out here. And I wasn't asleep. It's just for some reason, when you're down below, it doesn't seem to have the same effect. And so Jonah was asleep. And so the sailors, of course, they decided... These are seasoned sailors. This was a storm that's unusual, and it's going to sink the ship. And so they had fear. They cried to their gods, they hurled the cargo out of the ship. And then they thought, hey, we're missing somebody. Where is that that passenger we took on? So the captain himself went down to find out where Jonah was. In verse 5 or verse 6, the captain says to him, What are you doing? How can you be asleep? Get up, arise, call to your God. That was the command God gave, Moses, uh, gave Jonah. Arise and go. Now the captain's saying, get up, call to your God. Maybe your God will have mercy on us. Do you see any irony there? Here he was asking Jonah, maybe your God will have mercy. God is a God of compassion. And Jonah knew it. That's part of the reason why he was running away. And so Jonah's led to a point where, after the satyrs cast a lot and they figure out, "Hey, you've got some answers. Tell us what's going on," Jonah is forced to give an admission. They ask him, "Who are you?" We're not blaming you, Jonah, not yet anyway, because we don't know what's going on, but you do. Tell us what's going on." And so Jonah gave his admission. Now an admission is not a confession. An admission is an acknowledgement of a truth or recognition that something is true. A confession is acknowledgement of guilt and of responsibility. And so Jonah was giving an admission. He said, I'm a Hebrew in verse 9. I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Interesting statement. Do you think Jonah feared the Lord? Not at that moment, because he was running away from him. And so the sailors became even more concerned. What do you mean, you're running from the Lord? Because he told them, I'm fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Our text is interesting because it says that they were frightened, afraid of the storm. But when they heard why the storm had come and who had sent it, it says they became exceedingly afraid. Even more afraid than the storm. They had feared this God who could do this. And so it came to a point where what are we going to do about this situation? And so Jonah had to die. He had to leave the ship. That's what he knew. What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? And Jonah said, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Literally hurl me into the sea. God hurled the storm. You're supposed to hurl me into the sea. What did Jonah not do? He didn't call upon God. These men were going to die. And he said, I just have to leave the ship. Jonah was still fleeing from God's presence. He still wouldn't go to God. Even in the midst of this life and death situation, he said, throw me in the sea. I'm going to die. I prefer death than going to Nineveh. I prefer death than serving God. We don't normally associate these ideas with a prophet of God. But the sailors, what did they do? What was their first reaction? In verse 13, it says, Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land. They were unwilling to throw Jonah overboard. They didn't want to be responsible for his death. They had compassion for Jonah. Look, let's just try again. Let's just try and row hard. The says they dug the oars in the water, and they tried as hard as they could, and the storm got worse because that was a man-made solution to what God had already decided was going to happen. And so Jonah was thrown into the water, and we know in verse 17 that God appointed. The Lord shows up again, and he appoints a fish to swallow Jonah. And of course, this is a text that Jesus refers to in Matthew. When they asked for a sign from him, he said, No sign shall be given to you except that of Jonah, three days and three nights. In the great fish, so shall the Son of Man be. And it's not that Jesus was saying, What's going to happen to me is like Jonah. Jonah was like Jesus. This is always going to happen. Jesus knew that he would have to die to save us, just as Jonah knew he would have to die to save the sailors. That's a wonderful tone. <laughs> in any case, it'll soon go to voicemail, I trust. <laughs> so Jonah's path. What did the path that Jonah followed in chapter 1? He had his commission. He ignored it. He omitted it. And then he, then he admitted what he was doing was wrong. But not to God, only to the sailors. We learn that he, in many ways, preferred death over obedience. It showed that Jonah was a very stubborn person. Maybe you're a stubborn person. And there's no point where we see that, uh, that Jonah sought God to save the sailors. No point does, does Jonah pray to God for the sailors. He's still fleeing even up to this point. How do you respond when God talks to you, when he asks you to do something? It's a struggle. When I was thinking about this, I thought of Ananias, when Paul was struck blind on the road to Damascus, and God came to Ananias and said, I want you to go to Damascus, or in Damascus, and find this guy, Paul, lay your hands on him, and he will see. And what did Ananias do? Are you sure, Lord? Because this guy is a bad guy. He's killing people who know you. Are you sure I should do this? And Jesus said, yes. And Ananias did it. He obeyed. At times, we can become like Jonah. We can carry Jonah's attitude when faced with a God-given task that we don't want to do. So, do we flee or do we obey? You know, Christ was given the ultimate task to save all humanity. And his path required intense suffering and sacrificial death, carrying the weight of the sin of the world upon him. How unlike Jonah Jesus is. So do you want to be like Jonah or like Jesus? There's one other group involved in this adventure, and that was the sailors. And their response to God sits in stark contrast to that of the God's prophet, Ironically. If it wasn't for Jonah's disobedience, the sailors would never have been in this situation in the first place. But God saved the sailors. And from these unbelieving men who knew nothing about the Lord, the Lord received what he expected Jonah to give him, fear, glory, obedience. So we see that God gives his commission. Noah omits it. He has his omission, his admission, and we come to the sailors' submission, and that's our, our last point. When faced with the storm, the sailors were terrified. And with this fear, they sought a way out, a solution. In verses 5 to 8, this is their first attempts. They call upon God. They're gods. They each have their own God, household God. They call, but it doesn't work. There's no answer. There's no solution there. Then they try and hurl the cargo to lighten the ship to make it float not so deep, to try and ride out the storm. doesn't work. They know it's not going to work. The third thing they tried to do is they tried to uh, row to shore instead of throwing over the board Jonah. They tried three times to solve the situation on their own, and none of them worked because it was not what God wanted. And so it led them, actually, to obedience Ironically they obeyed Jonah what Jonah said When Jonah said put me over the side they ended up doing that But before they did and this is important before they did this in verse 14 they decided to do something before throwing Jonah overboard Our text says, therefore, they called out to the Lord. Not to their gods, but to the Lord. And they said to the Lord in their prayer, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done this as it pleased you. Don't let us suffer because of this man's disobedience to you. Don't hold us guilty for this man's blood because this man did nothing to us. He's innocent to us. He didn't harm us. He harmed you. So please look away from what we're doing and save us. And the result was life. They were given life. As soon as Jonah hit the water, the storm ceased. It's raging. And it became calm. And it led to their thanksgiving. They feared the Lord. The men feared the Lord exceedingly the same fear they had when they realized why the storm would come in the first place because of Jonah's disobedience because he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows one amazing thing about our God is he can take your disobedience and still bring honor and glory to himself these men would never have met the Lord if it wasn't for Jonah's disobedience And God knew that. This was part of his plan and purpose. It wasn't like, oh, where's Jonah going? No, he knew this was going to happen. He knew exactly what he was going to do. And I'm sure these men, when they completed their journey, told everybody what happened. That God's name was magnified and glorified because of what they had seen and witnessed themselves. So what do we do do with this this morning? How do we process what we've talked about in chapter 1 of Jonah? Well, if you can see this, hopefully, Jonah, on the left, when he heard God's will, he fled. He slept. Then he admitted what he'd done wrong to the people, but not to God. And so he had to die. But God, in his grace and mercy and his plan, rescued him. He wasn't done with Jonah. He could have said, that's it. You have disobeyed me. As my prophet, I'll choose somebody else. And God has done that. But in his choice at this time, he was going to continue to use Jonah because he was going to receive more glory through what he would do to Jonah. But the sailors, those who knew nothing about God, those who got up that morning and got on the ship who knew nothing about the God of the Hebrews, the Lord God of the universe, when they encountered what God had done, they feared. They sought salvation. They sought a way out. And when they figured out what that was, they submitted. And it led to life and thanksgiving. Ironic, again. Here is Jonah, the prophet of God who should know that, didn't do it. And those who did not know God gave God what he wanted. So today, how will you respond to the Lord when he gives you a task? Is it going to be a chore? which you try to avoid, ignore, delay like Jonah did? I mean, Jonah ended up doing what God commanded. Make no mistake about it; it did happen. He did do what he was supposed to do. It just led to a lot of pain on the way. Or will you submit and be like the sailors and obey what God wants you to do? You know, as a church, we are beginning uh, a new season of life. The Lord and His pleasure and timing has brought Pastor Brent and his family to be lead pastor here in our church. The Lord may well ask us as individuals and as a church to follow the Lord in ways that you may be reluctant to follow him. Now is the time to decide that, yes, we're going to listen to what God wants and we're going to follow what God has for us. It may mean that you're challenged to do a new ministry. Or a new task. It may mean that you're challenged to to a different way of thinking. It may mean that you're led to be challenged with fresh, fresh and new ways of worshiping and serving, of looking at our building. It may mean all of those things or none of them. In the end, we listen to God and what He wants. And I'll give you some examples. Maybe God is speaking to your heart and he's saying, look, I want you to host a life group in your house. I want you to attend a life group. Oh, I ain't got time, Lord. That's what I want you to do because it's best for you. Maybe he's going to be coming to some of you and saying, I want you to accept the challenge of leadership this year. I don't mean just being a deacon. I mean leading in various areas that there are needs. Maybe God's already been nibbling at your heart and you're going, I don't want to do that, Lord. Maybe God is saying, "No, no, no, you don't understand. I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. That's what I want you to do. Maybe you're at the point where God is saying, "It's time for you to be baptized. It's time for you to uh, obey me in the waters of baptism. You call my name, you say you know me, Prove it. Obey my command to get baptized. Maybe it's deciding to commit to the membership covenant to become a member. Oh, I was going to do that. I forgot to do that. Now is the time. Maybe God is speaking to your heart to do that. Or maybe it's just being open to serve wherever God has you to serve. It's a scary thing, but God knows what he's doing because God has something for each of you. In your heart, you may already know what it is, but you've been shying away. You know, I've done that. And when you obey, there's a great deal of joy in the end because you watch God do through you what You didn't think you could do. And you couldn't on your own strength. You see, the answer is never to try and run and outrun God. The Lord, this is important, the Lord loves you too much to let you go very far. He loves you too much to let you wander away. He'll come for you and bring you back to him. The answer is to listen, not to run. The answer is to Go to him so that he can bring honor to himself through you. Because the reality is, is that God is ready. And the question is, are you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the Lord of the sea and the dry land. You are the Lord of the universe. You know the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. You know all things. You know your plans and your purposes. You know every detail, Lord. And we want to come before you in our hearts and say yes to you, Lord, to open ourselves to hear. And if you say arise and go and speak and do, then we shall do that, Lord. Lord, give us the courage to follow you. Give us a desire to be with you. Lord, show us how we can serve you, how we can love you, how we can worship you. That you may be honored and glorified in all things. In your name, Jesus, we give you thanks and praise. Amen. Our benediction for this morning is from Jude. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen.